Thanks for listening to the Faith Radio podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. I'm Carmen LaBerge. I hope you enjoy. Happy Labor Day. And thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good Labor Day Monday morning. I'm Paul Perot, and thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. We're enjoying hearing again some great conversations from the last couple of months. One of them was with a medical doctor who had a strong desire. He loved to bring healing and wholeness to his patients. But he also discovered that while he could heal the bullet wound, he struggled to heal the trauma. That was Tom Blee's story. But thanks to others, he founded a ministry that seeks to do just that, to provide holistic healing to the person who faced trauma. Carmen's conversation with Dr. Tom Blee is next. Stay with us. This is Faith Radio. Dr. Tom Blee, you could find him in the hallways of the Regions Medical Center in St. Paul, Minnesota, or you could find him at Life Team Alliance. That is lifeteamalliance.org. Dr. Blee, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I teed this up by um, by telling people we were going to talk a little bit about Red Wing. So I've never been there. Make the uh, make the case for Red Wing, Minnesota. <laughs> so much pressure in the morning. Probably okay. That hotel, miles. just that hotel, is so Safe beautiful. Case. It's a hotel. So we're fifty miles south of St. Paul, and it's a hotel I've never stayed at, or, <gasps> or I've been in the lobby. Um, you know, it's a small historic town, about sixteen thousand people on the Mississippi River. Probably has a history in agriculture, logging. Uh, in in whatnot for transportation, but uh, I, I'm a guy. I grew up in Rochester, Minnesota, under the under the shadow of the Mayo Clinic, and as a physician, never wanted to work there. And I'm probably more farmer than I am surgeon. And Red Wing was the balance for me: a small town, small town atmosphere, um, but access to the to the bigger cities when you needed to get away. So the St. James, not- I, yeah. And that's, but that's not where you stayed. Like that would have been a nice, safe place to stay, but you didn't stay there. Right, right. So my first practice of 12 years in general surgery was in this town. And it was a, it was a great place to have my two boys grow up. Um, But there was a point where it was mostly I wanted to teach. I wanted to do something different. And so I moved my practice up to the cities to St. Paul, a bigger metro area. All right. Talk with us um, about your sister and the role that she plays in this narrative, because I want to talk about Life Team Alliance and I want to talk about the work that you're doing, but there's a story behind the story that needs to be told. Right. So, and the story probably goes back to Rochester, Minnesota, growing up, there's three of us, older sister, younger brother, growing up in a house of alcoholism. Um, my my father it was a small business owner, 
he always said he was Mayo Clinic support staff because he owned a bar. So we, we grew up for the most part uh, in a bar, but we grew up um, in a house of chaos and all of us survived in different ways. And when we grew up and, and got older and tried to get out of this muck and swamp that we grew up in, she came out first and really had a walk of faith that for probably years I watched but never grasped onto. So she became pivotal when my life collapsed uh, around me in, in about 2013, 2014. So as you feel comfortable, um, tell us that story. Yeah, it was, you know, <clears throat> for me, uh, I grew up in Roman as Roman Catholic and church was every week. Um, but, but it just, it, the, the, the Catholicism back there was a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. And I think a lot of us know it. And I think a lot of it's different. Okay. So I'm going to say that, but when you're struggling and growing up, especially in alcoholism and you go to church every weekend and Christ is on the cross, he, he never came down. He never came to help. I'm like, well, if you're hanging on that cross, what chance do I have to even have a life? And I, I survived being in my room reading, learning, studying, and so on, and kind of went into myself and got into medicine because it was a career where I thought people couldn't touch me. People couldn't argue with me. It was, it was cerebral enough and probably above enough that conversations couldn't happen, but it kept me busy enough that I didn't have to deal with what was happening in the family life. And that's not a way you can live and bring that into a marriage with a with a person who doesn't have much of a skill set either to be married and eventually things just collapsed the marriage didn't work and unfortunately it ended uh <clears throat> with a and this is in my book and I keep this as respectful as I can but it ended with a person who didn't want to be married and ultimately falsified a domestic violence against me to get me out of the house so all of it culminates in about 36 hours with me sitting in jail trying to figure out, uh, you know, a year prior, I had asked Christ in my life and things were going well by faith. But here I am trying to figure out Christ, trying to save a marriage that couldn't be saved and sitting in jail, uh, completely confused with what's happening in my life. And this was just six years ago, five years ago. And God has done um, has done a work since then. And there have been some people involved in that work um, with whom you now uh, continue to labor alongside uh, to to really bring hope and healing to others. So talk about the the redemptive narrative. Right. And the redemptive narrative starts with listening and people being brought in my life. One was my sister, as you mentioned, who had faith, who could say, Tom, this is what this is what's going to happen to change. But the second was a was a counselor and who's now my dearest friend brought into my life in John Turnipseed. And he's been on this show, not your show, First but the of radio. All, my favorite name out there. Yeah, yeah, you, like how yeah. how great is that? Okay, go ahead. You don't forget it. Very unique. Yeah, but he's not he's not at all like me. He was the worst gangbanger in the history of Minnesota. He uh, started a family gang in Minnesota that in the mid '90s gave Minnesota the label of Murderapolis. Um, his family had to be broken up by the mini, mini, uh, Minnesota National Guard. He um, he has 300 family members in jail, 30 for murder that may never get out, and I heard him on this network telling his story uh, after uh, this was before my events that uh, we got to know each other. But I called him and just said, listen, I'm in an impossible situation at the hospital. I have this darkness and this evil is what it is. And I can't even deal with 
with the these lost souls we we spend time and money and effort in the whole institution to pull these kids out of the fire to keep them alive but we can't bring them into the light and and he just said let's meet for lunch and and here is john is an african-american man about 10 years older than me with the street credibility who said let's build this program and uh what we didn't know and john was in a different part of his life is that the two of us were put together to rebuild our own lives and uh, that's why we chose Life Team. We need, we need something for life. I have two teams at the hospital for end of life in hospice and palliative care. We need a team for hope. We need a team for life. And that's uh, how John, John and I started it. I am talking with uh, Dr. Tom Blee. He is also the author of How to Save a Surgeon, Stories of Impossible Healing. Um, we are talking uh, today about Life Team Alliance, which you can find at lifeteamalliance.org. When we come back from a very brief break, um, I'm going to ask Tom to talk a little bit about the ministry. Just recognizing that um, even when he is putting somebody back together, uh, extracting a bullet or, you know, or sewing, sewing up uh, a, a traumatic injury, there is more healing that needs to be done. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Tom Blee. We're talking about Life Team Alliance. You can find it at lifeteamalliance.org. Um, Dr. Blee, uh, you know, you you started to, to talk about what people need beyond just the physical, um, the physical things that you as a trauma surgeon can do. Um, and, it, and it reaches not only to their experience in the hospital and what needs to happen there, um, but into the home and what needs to happen there. Talk, talk with us about this comprehensive reality of healing um, and what you guys are doing at Life Team Alliance to, to meet those needs. Sure. So some of it, you, you know, when you're radically changed by Christ is, and uh, eyes are opened, um, the first thing was for me was recognizing what was happening in these rooms that I walked into because there's a, there's a common theme after a gunshot wound, the, the, the you know the sh- the windows are dark the sh- bed sheets are pulled up around the nose the patient's not talking it's just an awful dark you can feel it when you walk into the room and uh, for many years I just could walk into that room and walk out but something was t- and, and God was just saying no you can't do this anymore you you're not done you you can't just fix the bullet wound and do this and that and the other thing that's fixing and you need to bring me in to help um, heal. And so what changed was, okay, how do we start? It's just hope. How do we even institute one flicker of hope to say, we've gotten you to this point, and uh, how do we bring you to the finish line? And what I recognized, you know, when I was sitting in jail and got out of jail and sitting in a courtroom trying to figure out my life was going to be, how I felt was how they looked. Mm -hmm. And there was a reason I was brought that low, and there was a reason people came into my life, and it was almost God saying, you know what, bring this team into that hospital. They feel the same way. Don't label it. Gangs don't mean anything, and pain is pain, John always told me. And when you have that much pain, you have to have bigger help than than, than we can provide, and Tom be the conduit to bring the help in. I don't have to talk about Christ. I don't have to talk about God. I don't have to throw the Bible at people. I have to show them what people showed me. <clears throat> and that's when we started to say, how do we bring the alliance in? 
and the alliance is only a few small people. We have a lot of organizations in the metro area, St. Paul, Minneapolis, that we have ties with, but the alliance starts with the relationship of anyone this patient will listen to. It may be me, it may be one of my nurses, it may be John coming in, who's a minister, we can bring him in. There's a couple other people I bring in. The question is, who is this person gonna grab onto for hope that lets us, when they leave the hospital, bring a relationship to them and then start to settle the house down, settle down the job situation, get them back to school, get them to, to that path of healing. So as you're, as you're sharing that, I'm remembering a story that I read. It's been a couple of months ago now. Um, you know, a, a man suffering from the coronavirus. He was in the hospital. I'm pretty sure this was in Florida. Um, and obviously nobody from his family could go see him. You know, he was completely isolated, uh, not a believer. And um, the the entire article is about the te- the witness, the daily witness of the woman who came into his room to clean. Yep. Yep. And and she she was bearing out the gospel. She was willing to come into his presence, even though, right, he was contagious and he was suffering. Um, and she was she spoke to that. She 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 lingered. She kept coming back. She brought resources to bear on the situation. Um, and he credits her with saving his life. Now, his physical life was saved by doctors and good, you know, probably a really good good uh you know way of improving his lungs but she saved his life in the ways that he credits as mattering and i think that's what you're talking about and it can and it can come in the presence of anyone that the patient will listen to exactly i know exactly the story you're talking about and that's that's the situations that we are trying to grasp that are being set up for us um it's you just you have to keep coming back. And, and for me, so many of these young men will say to me uh, with time, I'll start working and I'll say, why did you finally say yes? It, it probably takes me five, six, seven times just to talk and to get to get a little confidence. You have to just keep coming back like that woman did. You just keep showing up consistency. Then people can recognize that there's something different. And I always tell my residents and people that when I'm called to a room, there's the patient needs a surgeon and a savior. Okay, I'm only one of those. I'm just the surgeon, but I can be a conduit to the Savior in a way of trying to do something different. Then people will ask, and these young men will ask, well, why are you different? Why do you do this, Dr. Tom? Why do you come take me out to lunch? Or why do you guys just keep showing up? You know, doctors don't do this. They don't come to my neighborhood. Um, and why do you do this? And for me, it's just because, well, someone did it for me, and I have faith, this faith in Christ. And this is what Jesus shows me then the conversation starts it's in the spirit of the great physician that you go to their neighborhood right I mean, you know, jesus man. jesus literally came into the neighborhood and he's the great physician and after uh, after him you uh you are going to others to extend the grace and mercy that you have in turn also received i think that the the leveling um how, how can i describe this you you are providing a leveling of of what people perceive as a very hierarchical social system in America. And you are leveling that by acknowledging your own need for a savior, the the the, the times and places when you have been um in in jail in need of uh, in need of real restorative help and hope. Um and you're sharing you you have this shared humility because you've been there. Everyone has been there. We just don't all acknowledge it. 
Right, and I and I, I you're I you know nail on the head with that one because even for me the 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 faith can be knocked out of the out of the surgeon and the training in the medical school. So part of my mission is even to change some of that in the residents and med students that I work with. It's like listen. Listen, guys and, and young women and men, uh, these patients aren't any different than us. You may not have hit that bottom yet, but you will, um, and they have. And uh, for me and for many of us to knock that humility back in or that other stuff out, it takes direct intervention from Christ. Um, the, he leveled the playing field, like you're saying, and I had to recognize it and use it. And it's become one of my most powerful tools just to say, sit down and talk. You're not that big of a deal, Tom. You know, there's stuff going on in the hospital, but it, it's all going to get taken care of. Sit down and spend time with this person that was brought in front of you. This is where the where the real part of the medicine needs to to happen. And, you know, and I and I do. I pray for those events every day. I pray when I'm on my shifts to say, who who is it, God? Um, and the reality is, is engaging in the situations gives me as much on my path in healing as it gives the person I'm working with. What you're bearing witness to um, is is the spirit that is operating within you, and that is governing the way that you see time and the way that you see people and the way that you see um, the resources available, um, the the point of God drawing these two, two lives um, into an intersection with each other, and I don't want people to miss that. Um, there is a there is a spirit of peace about you that seems to recognize that there's enough time for me to sit and for me to return over and over and over again, um, for me to go out of what I perceive to be my way in, in order to, you know, go find again over and over and over again the one that uh, that with whom I have this divine appointment that God has set. Um, that is a spirit that is the spirit of God. And it's so contrary to the spirit of the world um, that we so often encounter. Yeah. And it's sometimes you miss that. You know, it's exactly what you're saying. There's days I struggle and I can't figure out why I'm so off and I can't do it. But it, it's what's interrupted that, that communication or connection that, you, that I need or that we all need. What, what spirit are we chasing after? And, and it, it takes time in, in all of our faith walks. It takes time to sit down and just say, I need that spirit that you're talking about, God. Don't let me fall back into the world because it's very easy. We all know in our lives, and especially in a trauma center, it's very easy to fall into the next gunshot wound, the next stabbing, the next patient, the next billing cycle, whatever it is. And, and you know, there's a message right there for everyone that's listening. Man, to sit down and just take that time and say, I'm just sputtering here, you know, bring that and it is peace. Bring that peace back. Then I know and we know we're on the right track. Thank you so much um, for who you are, for how you're living, for what you do every day, for the Life Team Alliance and sharing it with us. We're going to invite people to visit lifeteamalliance.org to get more information. Um, and I'm betting that you are open to talking with people who want to join the Alliance, who are in a position to reach out to others. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you, Carmen, for the time. I very much appreciate it. That's Dr. Tom Blee. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be right back.
Thanks again for listening to this Best of Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio for this Labor Day. I'm Paul Perot, Carmen's producer. If you spend even a few minutes on social media, you can sense how toxic an environment it can be. Are you contributing? Coming up next, we'll listen again to Carmen's conversation with Dan Darling, formerly of the Ethics and the Religious Liberties Commission. His latest book is called Away with Words, Using Our Online Conversation for Good. While you listen, know that we do have copies to give away, so text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484 for your opportunity to win. Thanks again for listening this morning to Faith Radio. is the Senior Vice President for Communications at the National Religious Broadcasters, the NRB. Uh, He served for six years as the Vice President of Communications for the ERLC, which is the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Dan is the author of nine books. I love the original Jesus, uh, The Dignity Revolution. He's got one called The Characters of Christmas. It's really fun. Um, and Dan has also very graciously served as a guest host of this program. He's here today with a brand new book out today. It's entitled A Way With Words. Dan Darling, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, it's so glad to be here uh, this morning. Thank you for having yeah. me. It's fun to have you. Um, let's, uh, let's just start with this. The introduction of this book is entitled A Book About Words. First of all, writing is itself an exercise in you know, stringing together words in a way that's not only meaningful, but impactful. And this is actually a book about words. Tell us about it. Yeah. I mean, I've always, um, my, my whole career, I've, I've basically, uh, have my, my job is to, is to put together words. It, it, it involves words, right? So I've been a writer my whole life, but also as a pastor, uh, hosting podcasts, working in communications, it's always about kind of the shape of our words. And I've always just loved, I've had a fascination with words. I like putting words together, and I also like reading words on a page. And it strikes me that Christianity is a religion of words, right? We have a God who uh, spoke the world into existence. Uh, he, uh, Jesus is called uh, the Logos, the Word of God. Uh, we as image bearers, uh, one of the things that distinguish us from the rest of creation is the high level in which we communicate. Uh, you know, animals can communicate kind of, but, you know, they're not going to, uh, an elephant's not going to write a novel or something like that. You know, humans communicate. It's part of what it means to be an image bearer. And the Bible has a lot to say about the shape of our words. And uh, sometimes I think Christians think if the only thing that matters is that I'm on the right side of an issue or a doctrine, that is important. Uh, but also God cares about the words we use to express ourselves. And so this book is kind of an outgrowth of that. So when we think about the challenges that we face today as a people in a, a really word-saturated environment, um, we, we probably live in the midst of more exchanged words than any, uh, certainly at any other point in human history because of one particular development of technology, and that is the Internet. Talk about, um, you know, sort of like why it's good and then what are the challenges that it, that it poses to us as Christians in the world today? Yeah, we live in this digital age, right, where with a few keystrokes uh, or a few taps of our thumbs, we can communicate basically uh, to to the world, whoever we want. And uh, in many ways, that that that's a great 
an awesome uh, development, right? We we can share good news about the gospel around the world. We can we can communicate with people that we maybe never were able to. Uh, it's sort of flattened things so that voices that need to be elevated can be. But there's also challenges too, because you know there's it's harder to have a filter when we communicate. We can we can easily just kind of say what's on our mind instead of thinking through it. Um, I am somebody, uh, and particularly in this book, that I don't lament where we are in the 21st century. Uh, God has called us to live uniquely in this time. Uh, but I do think as Christians, we have to steward this opportunity. You know, we're not going to go back to the 1950s. We're not going to suddenly become Amish. The Internet's here to stay. Social media's here to stay. So as Christians, how do we steward this well? How do we uh, use these technologies and use this access to communication tools in a way that— um, really honors what the Bible says about words and shows a distinctly Christian way of communicating. So I'm talking with Dan Darling. We're talking about his brand new book, Away With Words. Um, This is really about how we engage on social media. I mean, that is ultimately, you know, the conversation that we're seeking to have. How can I, as a Christian, um, use my online conversations for good? Uh, Dan, I uh, I love that the way that even the chapter titles um, give a nod to God's word. Like, right, there's a, if you're a student of scripture, you are going to, um, <laughs> you are going to recognize, even in the title of chapter two, slow to sweet, s- slow to tweet, quick to listen, quick to get the whole story. Um, or chapter three, biting and devouring. Um, chapter five, more highly than we ought. Chapter six, act justly, love mercy, post humbly. These are, um, and then, you know, whatsoever is true as much as possible. I mean, it's really a good job, by the way, um, on on naming the chapter something that uh, is memorable and hooks the contemporary to the eternal. Um, I really feel like that is one of the things you're trying to help us do is to recognize who we are as image bearers of the living God in the midst of everything we say or tweet or post in the world today. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I do. Th- I did that for a reason, because I really do think Scripture is very relevant to, to today and, and has a lot of wisdom about how we use the Internet, how we inter- interact online. Um, you know, James, writing in the first century, did not imagine Twitter and Facebook and the Internet uh, and a coronavirus pandemic or any of these things. But he did have a lot to say about how Christians speak. And I'm struck when he says, um, be uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We might rephrase that as be quick to read the whole story, not just headlines, uh, slow to post, and slow to internet rage. And, And I think there's a lot of real wisdom in the scriptures about the way that we use this wonderful tool that God has allowed us to have here in the 21st century. So, Dan, um, my listeners know that I love appendices. Like, I, my favorite part of every book might be um, the appendices. And uh, you have two appendices in this book, both of which are just excellent. The first one is 10 Things the Bible Says About Our Speech. And the second one is how to read the news. And so when we come back from a very brief break, I'm going to ask Dan Darling to give us a sneak peek into the appendices of his brand new book, Away With Words. We'll be right back. Be strong in the Lord and never give up hope. You're going to do great things. I already know. God's got his hand Continuing my conversation with Dan Darling. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Darling. We are 
celebrating the launch of his book today, uh, his newest book, A Way with Words. You can visit him online at danieldarling.com. Um, all right, Dan, I love appendices. You have two really excellent appendices in this book. Um, one of them is uh, is what the Bible says to us um, about all of this, which is just, just great. And then um, I'd just love to uh, for you to give us a sneak peek into um, the appendices that's entitled How to Read the News. Um, this is probably one of the most frequent questions that I get, like, it, it's usually framed like, Carmen, how do you do what you do? Like, how do you even curate what you decide you're going to talk about and comment on? And then how do you do that? Um, you you really, that is where you start, um, that we don't have to comment publicly on everything all the time. That is a huge permission right there um, because we would exhaust ourselves if we tried to not only take in all that is being communicated as news today, but if we actually thought we had to uh, comment on all of it. So talk with us about how to read the news. Well, you're exactly right that we don't have to comment on everything all the time. And in fact, it's funny, 20 years ago, nobody cared what, you know, a pastor of a medium-sized church five states away thought about, you know, some national crisis. And all of a sudden, there's this sort of pressure that we have to have opinions, public opinions about everything all the time. But a few tips that I have is, First, do I have the whole story? This is really important, and it's amazing to me, people on all sides of the political spectrum, how easy it is to kind of just jump ahead and post and comment about a story that we may not have all the facts, but it but it confirms our biases, right? So it, it says something bad about the people that we oppose, um, and there's a lot of recent examples about this, and I won't get into them, but we have to just resist that. Do I have the whole story? Have I read everything? Uh, should I wait before uh, publicly commenting? The second one is the writer and media outlet trustworthy. You know, every media outlet kind of comes from an angle or a bias. But can I trust their work? Uh, are they known to be, you know, uh, good faith actors? Uh, also, am I willing to read news from a variety of perspectives, from a variety of, you know, c coming from different sources? Or am I locked in a kind of an echo chamber where I'm only reading news that shows uh, that confirms uh, my my worldview. Am I willing to hear bad news about my own tribe? Alternatively, am I willing to, to hear good news or something good and refreshing about people with whom I disagree? Um, and then I, I think we should ask ourselves, am I qualified to comment on this issue, right? So I may have an opinion about this, but am I the person to comment on it? Do I have uh, the experience? Do I know what I'm talking about? Um, I have a lot of opinions on a lot of things, and I don't need to express them all publicly, right? So if you really, really have an opinion about it, my suggestion is this. Have a few friends you can text and send them your hottest takes and ask them, am I seeing this right? And do that before you post something online and, and kind of make a fool out of yourself or really embarrass yourself. Um, can I say something constructive that will provoke a healthy conversation? Uh, can I do that? And I think we can. I, I think we should speak out. I think we should speak out about the issues that uh, are facing us. We should stand up for the vulnerable. We should uh, be prophetic at times uh, with our own tribe. Uh, but let's do this in a way where we have all the information. We wait. We kind of slow down and ask ourselves, why am I posting this? Uh, am I the person that needs to be doing this? And if we've answered all those questions, I think we should engage. 
You have a really good chapter um, in this book. And again, I'm talking with Dan Darling about his brand new book, Away With Words. Um, Chapter 7 does help us prepare to deal with the reality of conspiracy theories. Um, And there are there are always conspiracy theories like that's that's not new. Christians seem particularly prone to not only believe them, but use their social media platforms to press them out. And when a person is pressing out something that I know on the face of it is not true, I am then less likely to trust them about other things. So talk with us about um, conspiracy theories and how, you know, just it, it, it weakens our witness in so many ways. It does. I think so my theory is is that there there are always going to be uh, conspiracy theories, even in good and healthy times. Uh, if you even go back to like World War II, which we look back at that era with, with fondness, and we should, but there were some conspiracy theories. But my theory is that um, conspiracy theories, belief in them rise when institutional trust is low. And if you look around our society in the last couple of decades – it seems like every institution across the board at some level has failed us from the church to the government to the media uh, to even our you know sports leagues and, and everything. And so when that happens, um, cons- belief in conspiracy theories rises. Now, as Christians, we really should believe what is true. We care about the truth. And what conspiracy theories do for for many is that they give people a false sense of security that we are in scary times, we're in difficult times, and rather than just accepting that there are things going on in the world that I cannot understand, there's a mystery to life uh, in a fallen world, and, and kind of leaning back on trust in, in a God who is sovereign over all these things, it's easier to find comfort in this kind of idea that, you know, I'm in the know, and, and I know have, I've linked all these things together, and there's a kind of secret group that's running these things. And I think Christians should resist that. I think one of the ways we combat conspiracy theories, because all of us have friends or family that subscribe to them, first of all, is I don't know that it's uh, beneficial to have long, drawn-out arguments, because all we'll do is get frustrated, and that person will still believe those things. I think we love people who believe these things. I think we try to gently confront them. But also, all of us, in, in the, what we post and what we believe and what we communicate, we can contribute to the spread of disinformation uh, even in ways we don't understand. When we jump ahead of a story too quickly, when we pass on information that's incomplete, we may not believing be believing in a conspiracy theory about the moon landing or about QAnon or one of these things, but we are contributing to the distrust and the spread of misinformation. So we too have a responsibility, uh, as, especially as Christians, to pursue what is true. All right. Dan Darling has a new book, Away With Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good. Um, Dan, the uh, the subhead, I think, is uh, is important. You're not just interested in um, me finding places to post online. You're actually talking about engagement. The, the word conversation suggests that there's going to be an interaction, that there is going to be an exchange of ideas. Um, that's provocative and doesn't always happen. And then also this idea that um, the the internet, online conversations could be used for good, which is often not the case. So I just want to uh, to highlight those um, those notes as well. Um, let me ask one more question. I think that there are those of us who like word platforms on the internet. We like the places where words are exchanged, where words are 
um, uh, at a premium. And we like those, or I like those better than those platforms where pictures are the medium, where pictures are the what the word that is exchanged. And then uh, maybe least uh, favorite uh, on my list of of social media platforms are, you know, like video, right? (laughs) So especially Mm. meaningless video of like 60 seconds. So um, when we think about the way in which people find their places on social media where they gather, I do think that there are those of us who more naturally gather on word-based platforms versus those who tend to gather on um, like Instagram, which would be much more of a uh, picture-based platform, or those who would gather, let's say, on TikTok, much more of a uh, video-based platform. Yes, no, is it all the same? No, you have you have a great, you raise a great point. In fact, I, I do talk in there, particularly in Chapter Five, about uh, kind of the visual age, and um, I, I think as much um, promise and peril there are with our words online, there. Are, I think the same holds true for the for the visual images we see and flashing in front of us and what Tony Ranke calls the, the kind of ongoing spectacle. Uh, I think one of the biggest uh, dangers for Christians, particularly with visual images, is this this um, incentive for us to kind of uh, curate a version of ourselves. And I, and I think we do this with our words as well, but to curate a version of ourselves that we feel is lacking in real life. So we we try to um, play act somebody online. So, you know, Instagram, you know, we're, I'm trying to be the super dad that's doing all the things right or the super mom, or I'm play acting the kind of super messy mom or messy dad that doesn't get it right or whatever. Um, or I'm making these, you know, bold political statements all the time. And I think under, underneath some of that is we have to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Am I trying to, um, uh, find favor and and affirmation from a from my tribe to, to satisfy myself or am I able to understand that God loves the real version of me you know not the version I curate online but the real me and if if I know God and I'm known by God that I'm free from the from the temptation and the desire to have to find satisfaction and curate uh, a version of myself that may not be be real, and I think I think this is a real temptation uh, for Christians, and I think the solution is obviously the Christian gospel, that which frees us up then to uh, be who we really are, and and not have to sort of pretend and curate this this kind of different image. Again, that was Carmen's conversation with Dan Darling, author of the book, Away With Words. Remember, we have copies to give away, so text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Then follow the link we send back to you to be eligible to win. Again, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Thanks again for listening to the special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on this Labor Day Monday. Carmen will be back live tomorrow at 6 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Eastern. Be sure to listen on your Faith Radio station or through the free Faith Radio app. Download it now at your app store. A week from today is the start of our Fall Share Fundraiser. Remember that programs like Carmen's are only possible with your prayerful and financial support. So we hope you join us for this special week of programming here on Faith Radio. For Carmen 
Carmen LaBerge. I'm her producer, Paul Perot. Have a great rest of the day. And again, join us tomorrow here on Faith Radio. I'm Carmen LaBerge. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Remember, it's your prayerful and faithful financial support that makes both the live show and the podcast available. Make your gift at MyFaithRadio.com.